chapter 11 is where we're going to begin tonight, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, appreciate those of you, your prayers uh, since Sunday, uh, when my daughter went in on Sunday, John and Sarah gave, uh, well, Sarah gave birth to little Ellie Gossett yesterday, and uh, so that was an exciting thing. We, she was, we were able to see her for a few minutes yesterday afternoon, and um, objectively speaking, she's perfect. So um, I would say that anyway, you know, but I think she's uh, just great. Uh, Nana has made a trip to Clark, so she's not here with us this evening, uh, making her way up there. And, uh, you know, you, you see the paper, you see the news and how much COVID uh, and the shutdown has hurt our economy and the South Dakota economy. Well, I'm pleased to announce that my wife is fixing the South Dakota economy anyway, um, single-handedly. So the stack of clothing that was bought yesterday for that, that baby, she's fine until she's like three. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus, had, we're talking about John the Baptist. And Jesus has an encounter with two disciples of John the Baptist after John had been put in prison. We talked last week about John's arrest. And this week I want to talk a little bit about one of just the momentary failure of John the Baptist. Now, I hesitate to call anything about John the Baptist a failure because, I mean, I could hope to aspire to be a tenth of the man he is or was. Um, but the encouraging things I mentioned last week, that uh, great men of the faith have struggles like you do and like I do. Uh, wonderful prophets in the Bible uh, have these thing, same things that they go through. We like to think our heroes never have any problems. Well, they do. And the Bible talks about them. Life does not exempt great men uh, from trouble. Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher probably in the last several centuries, uh, had, had vicious bouts of depression that he had to deal with. And great men are not exempt from seasons of doubt, as we'll see tonight. And so let that encourage you not to say that this is okay, but that it's not uncommon. Sometimes we feel, I think it's the devil's lie, we get tempted in some area, Satan convinces us we're the only ones that struggle in this area. You're the only one that has this problem. Everybody, go to church. Look at everybody else. They're just they're having a great. They're being successful. They're being victorious. It's just you, rotten Christian. <laughs> That's a lie he sells us. Well, there is no temptation such as is common to man, and we'll see that. Uh, this is a gentle reminder. This story about the mercy that Jesus show, shows us, and the fact that he doesn't throw us away when we have a little bit of doubt. All right, that's a blessing. Let's read Matthew 11, verse number two. The Bible says, When John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now stop for a second and let that question sink in your mind. This is John the Baptist asking this question. Art thou the one, or should we seek another? This is him asking his cousin, this is him asking the man whom he saw a dove come from heaven and sit on his shoulder. He heard a booming voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he's asking this question. I'm telling you, nobody is above doubt. Nobody. So let's keep going here. Jesus answered, verse 4, and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached in them. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now notice the, the timeline here, because this is important. And they departed, or as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. So here they're leaving, all right, they're gone. Now, Jesus says something to the multitudes about John that he did not say to the messengers that came. I mention that because we're going to talk about that in a little bit and why that's important. But, uh, we'll, and we'll look at some more verses as we go. But let's have a word of prayer as we start here. I want to talk tonight about decreasing and increasing. And uh, we'll get to that verse. In fact, my text verse tonight, we're not going to talk about until the conclusion. That's a little odd in, in, in homiletics class. They never taught us that. But that's how we're going to do it tonight. We're going to look at our actual text verse as we're wrapping up the sermon, and you'll see as we do that. So, Father, I pray you'd be with us this evening. Help us to see something in here that'll be a, an encouragement to us. And I, I pray for those that have tuned in and are watching online that you may bless there too. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the evidences of the rea- reliability of the Bible, and I talked about this last week in closing, but I just want to mention it again because I appreciate this about the Bible. The Bible reports the failures of its people as well as their successes. Now, you read a book about, uh, you, about anybody, a, a biography, or you read a book about, in history even about certain people written about them, it's, it's always their highlights, it really... It minimizes their failures. The Bible doesn't do that. You see the lies of Abraham and Isaac. You see the uh, adultery and murder by David. You see Moses' temper, uh, which cost him the privilege of entering the promised land. You see the juniper tree experience of Elijah. You see the denials of Peter. You see those things. And then we see victory after it many times. And we also see John the Baptist's failures, a momentary failure here. In the Word of God. Now let's look at John's question. Uh, and by the way, there was pertinence in this question. He, this, this was not a, a good question to ask. John wanted to know if Christ was indeed the promised Messiah. Are you the one, he that should come? John's question was basically to, to, to determine who Jesus was. Now let me ask again, are you surprised by his question? This is John the Baptist asking this question. It's amazing if you really think about it. If anyone should know who Jesus was, it's John the Baptist. We expect John the Baptist to be bold and fearless. We expect him to be unshakable in his faith. And he was, except when he wasn't. And that's how we are sometimes. We can be too. We we can be firm in our faith. And then we have those seasons uh, where we doubt and when we have issues. John's situation that he was in and his thinking momentarily created some doubts in his mind. Understand, by the way, there is nothing more important for us to know who Jesus Christ was or is in our life as well. Uh, So John was right to ask this question if he had any doubts. The most important question in your life is asked in Matthew 22, 42, what think ye of Christ? Because what we do with Christ determines our eternal destiny. Uh, John the Baptist had situational problems. He had some doubts because of his situation. But he was right in one area. He needed to firmly establish the identity of Jesus Christ. That's important. And when we go through areas of doubt, and when we start to get a little shaky in our faith, we better nail down who Jesus Christ is and who he is to us. That should be our first priority. Uh, There's several reasons, I believe, that prompted John to ask this question. 
at this time. Let's look at three reasons, I believe. The declarations to John. When John heard in prison the works of Christ. So John has, or Jesus has gotten very well known since John had last seen him. Jesus was now becoming famous. Uh, stories were everywhere about his healings, about his miracles, and about his preaching. John was fascinated in what Jesus was doing. No doubt he would listen with great interest as reports would come in from his disciples when they visited him, when he was told about the works of Christ. His, by the way, his whole life was wrapped up. His whole interest was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner. He was the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. So his ministry was focused on Jesus. So what John heard must have puzzled him. The ministry of Jesus Christ was very difficult for the Jews to accept. We know that. We talked about that on Palm Sunday when they're all uh, shouting Hosanna. We wonder sometimes how could there be huge crowds of uh, people shouting Hosanna and just several days later they're shouting crucify him. How could that happen? Well, because Jesus did not deliver what the Jews expected him to deliver. And so uh, he, he did see obviously more than most people saw about Jesus uh, as the Lamb of God, the Messiah. However, John was not seeing what he expected to see. If you remember in Matthew 3.10, when he's talking to the Pharisees, this is what he says. This is before he baptized Jesus. He said, the axe is laid into the root of the tree. He said in verse 12, his fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor, will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what John wanted. <laughs> That's what he expected. But Jesus had done none of that. Where was Jesus' judgment on wicked Herod? Where was Jesus' judgment on the wicked religious leaders? Uh, why did Jesus not do something about the horribly oppressive Roman government? Why is John still sitting in prison? Jesus hasn't done anything for him. John was disappointed because Jesus wasn't moving fast enough for him. Hello, that ever happened to you? You ever gotten un impatient when God doesn't move fast enough for you? You talk about frustration when you're in a hurry and God isn't. Well, this is where John was at. Impatience that God is not helping us leads us to doubt. It does in our life as well. And sometimes to despair. How horrible it is when we allow our sufferings, now listen here, because we do this, we allow our suffering and our circumstances to taint our view of who God is. He's unchangeable. He's not going to change. And so, just because we're in a bad spot doesn't mean God's changed. But in times of trouble and trial, somehow we begin to think that God has forgotten about us. We may even think that He's turned His back on us. Hard times make us doubt what was once very clear to us. It's exactly what was happening here to John. Not only the declarations to John, but the dungeon of John. John is languishing in prison. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go into it again. But just imagine John the Baptist, the man of the desert, the one of the outdoors. He ate locusts and wild honey. He dressed in camel's hair. I mean, he was uh, not... Uh, the kind of guy to sit indoors, and now he's in a prison cell. Now he's languishing in this dank little uh, prison, and it's bad. That would be bad enough for anybody, but a man like John the Baptist, this was terrible for him. No wonder he became discouraged. No wonder the seeds of doubt began to creep into him 
and into his mind because that situation he was in, it could dampen anyone's spirit, and it did certainly for John. Then, not only the declarations to John, the dungeon of John, but the disregard of John. Added to all this, Christ had done nothing to deliver him. Jesus didn't step in. John heard the reports. Jesus was doing wonderful works. Uh, he was uh, healing people, and, and he was preaching wonderful message, but he had done nothing to set John free. Now, we're going to talk as far as the why here a little bit later, but just remember where John is right now. He hadn't done anything for John. John's thinking. John's sitting there rotting away in prison, and Jesus is doing all these great works, but he's done nothing for John. Perhaps, the, uh, perhaps when he first got into prison, he probably sat there every day uh, in the first few days thinking, sorry, I'm not going to be here long. Jesus will take care of this problem. But he didn't. He just kept staying there, sat there. Didn't Jesus say in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and preach deliverance to the captives. But here's one captive that's not delivered. He's still in jail. Still sitting there. But as the days grow to weeks, still no help came. It was baffling, perhaps, and that is a little bit of assumption, but uh, we can assume that this was uh, getting wearing on John. He was being worn thin. Maybe he had made a mistake. Maybe, and this is what doubt does. Doubt begins to remove what you once knew to be true. And all of a sudden you start to question. Maybe I was mistaken. We can sympathize with this. If you've ever struggled with doubt in your life, you know exactly what he's going through. Things you knew, things that you used to proclaim, man, you taught it in a class or you preached it from the pulpit or you, uh, you adamantly said it to friends and now you're, you're, you're just questioning some of these things because of circumstances we're in. How many times have we counted on God's deliverance from some unbearable sorrow? Eyes open, ears alert, we're waiting, expectant, expecting deliverance, but the weary hours pass bringing no help. Then we begin to wonder. God's apparent lack of interest to our pain can allow doubt to creep in. And I say apparent, God never has a lack of interest in your pain. But his apparent, we think he does sometimes. We feel like he does. Because it doesn't move fast enough for us. So it seems, again, to mock the promises of Scripture. Here's wicked Herod living in luxury in his uh, palace while John's rotting in prison and there's nothing being done to deliver John. Don't question this for a moment. This was a severe trial in John's life. Severe. Now, I want to also look in the question here, the wisdom in the asking. He sent two of his disciples. It's interesting how John handled his doubt. He admitted it. He sought help for it. And he turned to Christ for the answer. Now, that's a good thing to do when we've got doubt. Amen? Admit it and seek some help. When doubt hit John, he did not sit and moan about it. He took action to get answers. Listen, there are too many people today that when doubt creeps in, they're all too happy just to sit and let the doubt get worse and worse and worse. They stop going to church. They stop fellowshipping with believers. They don't read the Bible anymore. They just let the doubt overcome them. John didn't. He was going to do something about it. Don't honor your doubts. If you're plagued with doubt, get into the Word of God. John the Baptist knew that the right place to get help for dealing with his doubts was the Lord, and he took him right to the Lord. He didn't go to some unbeliever or some psychiatrist, amen? 
who went to Jesus Christ himself. You know, the Bible was given, for one of the reasons the Bible was given is to help us with our doubts. It's interesting, 1 John 5, 13, you've probably said that verse or heard it a million times, but this is going to be, uh, I just want to put a little new spin on it, just have you point something out here. These things have I written unto you that believe. Stop there. Who's it written to? You that believe. All right, let's take me. I believe. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe. Wait a second. These things are written that you, to you that believe so that you might believe. Not a little redundant? Well, it isn't if we struggle with doubt. Because we believe. I mean, we, John believed, but right here at this moment, he didn't believe. And so he needed the word of God, needed Jesus, uh, he needed to go to God himself, Jesus Christ, needed to get that reassurance, and we, in turn, we can't send a messenger to ask a physical Jesus, so what do we do? We go into the word of God. The word of God is given to us that believe that we might believe. And so, we already believe, but sometimes we have doubts, and we need to believe. We see, first of all, we saw John's question, now let's look at the answer. The two disciples of John the Baptist are given a hearing by the Lord. The response Jesus gave is really, really interesting. Because Jesus did not give them a yes or no answer. Remember what the question was? Are you the one? Jesus could have said yes. (laughs) But he didn't. He didn't give them a yes or no answer. He did not say, I am he. Yes, tell John I'm the one. He doesn't need to look any further. If he'd have answered the question that way, he'd have answered John's intellect but not John's heart. Remember, it wasn't John's intellect that needed to be reassured. John knew when we doubt, it's not really that we don't know, it's just we don't feel it. We don't know it. We don't act on it. And so uh, he didn't say that. Uh, if after a few days, if he'd have told John that, John would have said, okay, whew, I needed that. But guess what had happened a few days later when he still wasn't out of jail? Circumstances still hadn't changed. Doubt would creep back in. So here's the interesting thing. So the first part of the answer Jesus gave had to do with evidence. He ordered John to review the evidence. Show John again. That word again is very important. This is in verse 4. Show John again those things which you do hear and see. Now it's fascinating how Jesus responded because Jesus is telling him to revisit what caused him to doubt in the first place. Why did John doubt? It says so in the beginning, when John had heard in prison the works of Christ. That's why he doubted. So what did Jesus tell him to do? Go back and tell him to look again. (laughs) I think that's fascinating. So he's doubting because he heard all the works Jesus did. Now Jesus said, tell him to again look at what is happening, those things which you do and see. The evidence is the very thing that inspired the doubt here. The evidence Jesus is sending back is the same thing that had inspired the doubt in John. Verse 1, what things? His works, his healing. John's problem had a narrow view of who Jesus was and why he came to earth. If we look at Jesus properly, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our discouragement, when we look at Jesus the way we should, we see him for who he is, then the stumbling blocks can become stepping stones. That's what needed to happen to John here. Now the Uh, So he sends him back to his original evidence. That's what Jesus' answer shows us, that the best thing that he can do is reassure us who he is. 
That's what we see in the Word of God. We constantly have to be reminded and need to be reminded who God is. Who I'm not and who God is. Because we tend to swell up in our own estimation and God diminishes in our own estimation. We need to remind ourselves who God is and who I'm not. So the message is clear here. Jesus said, I'm changing lives here, John. The lame walk, the blind see, lepers are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Remind John, Jesus is telling his disciples here, remind John what's happening here. And I love this moment here in the account. I mentioned it because, so he gives them that, they turn to leave. As they walk off, Jesus back addresses the crowd and he spoke highly of John when John was at his lowest in his discouragement. This is a, a blessing here. We do not serve a God who casts us aside when we have a moment of doubt. John has not yet stopped doubting. The men haven't gotten back there yet. They haven't delivered the message. Jesus hasn't seen if John's going to get his act together. And still, he talks about how great of a man he was. This should encourage all of God's children. That despite our failures, God still, uh, he, he still sees us as salvageable despite all the failures in our life. The compliments for John were desperately needed at the time. When these men came and asked Jesus that, no doubt the crowd heard the question. You'd think the crowd said, what? How dare John ask that kind of question? What's happened to John? Oh man, the Twitters uh, started to tweet and the uh, Facebook posts started to go out. John's doubting and all this stuff. So Jesus needed to clear the air here. And uh, Jesus squashed the doubts of the crowd here. He gave honor to John the Baptist. He did not want John's uh, question to discredit John's ministry. I love that. Because, because we're so often with each other, so often someone does us wrong and we write them off. They're done. We're, they're done. We don't like them anymore. We let resentment build. We let bitterness build. And that one fail, sometimes it's just one failure. Sometimes it's several. Guess what? It doesn't matter if it's 490, according to what Jesus said. We still should forgive them. But, but we, we do that. We very quickly write people off. God doesn't do that. By the way, we never expect a God to write us off that quickly, but we're quick to write others off. And so here, I, that encourages me as a Christian. That's not the God that we serve. So John, or Jesus gives John sort of a eulogy here, if you will, because not long after this, John's going to be beheaded. The beheading showed what men thought of John. Jesus is going to say what he thinks of John. <laughs> Amen? It's better to be beheaded by the Herods of the day and get praise from heaven than the other way around any day of the week. Now notice in verse 7, as they departed, he began to say to the multitude concerning John, what went you out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? <laughs> it's interesting that the, the very thing John's facing right now is doubt, and Jesus is going to address that. He's, that's not who he is. That's not who John is. He isn't a reed shaken by the wind. Uh, this is a great, uh, exam, uh, a great uh, compliment to John. By the way, Jesus is different than people are in that he gives, we sometimes give praise to the face and then talk bad behind their back. Jesus did just the opposite. He gave a mild rebuke in verse 6. Blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. Tell John that. So he gives them a mild rebuke, and as they leave, he praises him behind his back. That's opposite of how people act. Good things to the face, bad things behind the back. Jesus did just the opposite here. He spoke high praise 
of John behind it. Listen, one of the great tests in our life is are we going to be faithful to God if we're not hearing praise, if we're not receiving honors? John was, uh, by the way, this praise was reciprocating. Uh, When John the Baptist was in the limelight, what did he do? He praised Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ now is in the limelight, he's praising John the Baptist. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. If you want honor from God, give honor to God. Now let's look at the compliments. He said, What went you out in the wilderness to see a reed shaken with the wind? The answer to the question is an implied no. It's a rhetorical question. John was not blown by the wind. Oh, but we have those today. We have people, we have Christians, they're blown. They go from church to church. They go from ministry to ministry. They can't, uh, they can't really plant roots anywhere because they're a reed blown, blown by the wind. Wherever the wind blows, that's the direction they go. But John the Baptist, he stood strong and he stood straight no matter which way the wind blew. He was not tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine like Ephesians 4.14 tells us. He wasn't a reed. He was a mighty oak. He stood firm, unmoved by circumstances. When Herod showed up, we talked about a few weeks ago, he still preached the truth, no matter who was there to listen. Praise God for men like John who have backbone. But if all that is true, then why the doubts? Why the doubts? Uh, But the best answer to that question, I think, is that John's doubts were not entrenched. You know, we're all going to have seasons of doubt. We're all going to have moments of doubt sometimes. But John, you could look at it like a river. Even though their surface ripples are going to change, the current underneath is going to be going one direction. And so John's doubts were more like surface ripples, not the actual current. If you allow, though, if you allow those doubts to fester and you don't deal with them, get into the Word of God, get around godly counsel, get around the right people, take care of it, then soon the ripples will become the current. So we have to be careful. But John, I believe, this, this wasn't uh, entrenched, these doubts. We see the, he, him also talk about the self-denial in John. He said, a man clothed in soft raiment, this is what you look for, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. John did not get the latest slim-fit Armani. <laughs> He was a man of self-denial, wore a raiment of camel's hair, a leathern girdle about his loins in Matthew 3, 4. His clothing spoke of self-denial. His food spoke of self-denial. John's self-denial can be seen all throughout his life. We can use more emphasis on that today. F.B. Meyer said, too many of us are inclined to put on the soft raiment of self-indulgence and luxury. John was a man of steadfastness and self-denial. Also, Jesus spoke of his superiority. He said in Luke 7, 28, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. There's a, no prophet, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Ezra, Isaiah, Ezekiel. None of these were greater than John the Baptist. And that's a, quite a thing to say about him. Our text goes even further in verse number 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. I got news for you. Every single human being that's ever populated this earth was born of a woman. And Jesus said, none of them are greater than John the Baptist. High praise coming from the Lord himself. Again, I ask then, why the doubt? If he's so great, if he's such hot stuff, why the doubt? 
Let's go back, and now we're going to go to our text. John chapter 3, if you would. John chapter 3. Look at something that John said before he went to jail. John chapter 3. This is so, so important. Uh, if you haven't been listening to this point, listen now. <laughs> if you get one thing, let this be it. John chapter 3. So some loyalists came to John and they said, Hey, there's this man, Jesus. He's baptizing people, or he's uh, preaching like you are. And uh, he, this man, uh, people that you baptized are now following him. Everybody's following him. Jesus didn't baptize. That was a slip of the tongue. But, but uh, everybody is following Jesus now. Here's what John said in John chapter 3, verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must incre decrease. He must, he must expand in his following. He must expand in his power. He must eventually win all hearts. He is the beginning of eternal blessedness. He must increase. And then he says, I must decrease. By the purpose of my calling, my scope has to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Eventually, I'm going to go off the scene so that he can be glorified. He must increase. I must decrease. And John was right. By the way, uh, that's easy for us to say. Can I ask you a question? What was John doing in jail? Decreasing. That's what he was doing. He was decreasing. And he didn't like it very much. None of us like it. We don't like to decrease. Now, it's e and again, you get into the pulpit, or you get in your Sunday school class, or you're having a Bible study or discipleship class, and all of us, yes, we all agree, he must increase, I must decrease. But when we start to be decreased, we don't like it. It's not pleasant. Decreasing is never pleasant. It's not something that we sign up for. It's, uh, it, we might say it like John did, but when it really comes down to it, uh, here's John in jail, and he is decreasing. And so you'd expect John to say, see, hey, hey, look, look nobody get upset. I told you, i got to decrease. He's got to increase. So when he heard all those good reports coming in about Jesus, he should have said, that's great. He's increasing, just like I said he needed to. And I'm decreasing, just like I said I needed to. But uh, probably John was a lot like us. And John was more along the lines of, I didn't know decreasing would look like this. I didn't know that I didn't mean this. You see, we don't, we don't ever know how God's going to do it but we need to be willing to go through it. The seeds of doubt grow in the soils of disappointment. And John was severely disappointed. I'm talking maybe to someone tonight, maybe here, here in our building or maybe even on, on, uh, through, through the air. Maybe a lights went on. Maybe you just realized some things in your life are happening right now. You're decreasing. And it's a good thing, spiritually speaking, but it doesn't feel good. It's not pleasant. It's not something we enjoy. 
But if our life, if ultimately we are decreasing, and if at the same time the impact and the effect of Christ through our life is increasing, that's a good thing. It just doesn't feel good. It never feels good. Could it be that as you decrease, Jesus increases? I think really that's the only way it ever happens. As we decrease, remember Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. Now, he didn't use these words. I'm just using it as an example because of what we're talking about. Hey, God, you know how much it would increase my impact? if I Let's just say his eyes were pussy. That's what people think. His eyes had problems. So I, he's talking to people here. Imagine your eyes are... What a distraction that is. If this happens right here to a preacher and he preaches a whole message, that's all you see. It's all you see. It just drives you nuts to see that. I've been there too. But uh, so imagine if something's wrong with the eyes and Paul comes to God. God, listen, it would increase the impact. It would increase the message. It would increase everything about my presentation if you could take that away from me. And Jesus and God's answer, three times he tried to take him, get him to take it away. My weakness or my strength is glorified in your weakness. In other words, if you will, for the sake of our message tonight, as you decrease, I'm increasing. Now, here's the question, folks, that I leave with you tonight before we close in prayer here. Here's the question. Are you willing to decrease? Are you willing to be decreased so that he might be increased? That's the question right there. Now, I, I, the, the, the Scripture never talks about John's final days. We know he was beheaded soon after this, but I like to think that John the Baptist got it. I hope. I hope he did. He got it when he got to heaven, but uh, I hope he got it and he understood it when Jesus answered this, answered this question. Can I encourage you tonight that resist to resist doubt in your life that comes because of circumstances in which God might be trying to increase you, in which he might be trying to, or decrease you, in which he might be trying to increase himself. Did I lose you there? Resist doubt that comes from God possibly trying to decrease you and increase him. That's the goal of our Christianity. Let yourself be decreased so that he might be increased. Tough, tough duty. Let me tell you, I can tell you how difficult it'll be. And this is not to discourage you, but just to prepare you. It's so difficult that the greatest born among women ever had a really tough time with it. So I'm guessing you will too, and I will too. But it helps us to see it, doesn't it? So uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's do the best we can. Father, I pray you'd help us as we go through.